Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, we are so thankful that you've joined us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank Friedman is our pastor and theologian. I'm just kind of the guy who keeps things flowing. My name is John Russin, and we are here, Frank, to talk about suffering, particularly to pick up our conversation that we had last time on the life of Joseph. Now, I'm going to ask you to comment again as we begin this episode why you felt so strongly about Joseph being included in this list of people we talked about when we talk about suffering. Well, John, if just a cursory reading of the book of Genesis, you'll see multiple failures on the part of Abraham, much the same with Isaac, probably the worst with Jacob. But when you come to Joseph, we find failure. We find failure in every human being, but most of his failure is as a youth, a young man being raised in a very dysfunctional family. He has things happen to him that are potentially devastating, which again, did not happen to Abraham, Isaac, or to Jacob. Jacob had the fear that bad things might happen, but nothing like Joseph. And yet this man, so young, just stands stellar above the others in terms of his faith in God in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And God elevates him to an incredible position of power and influence in a land with a people that's not his own. And you know, when I look at the life of Joseph, one of my favorite verses from 1 Samuel 2.30, God says, I will honor those who honor me. And that could very easily be a description for the life of Joseph. Indeed. He honored God, and wow, did God honor the man. Yeah. Well, we invite you listeners to check out the previous episode, because Frank and I spent quite a bit of time talking about the family dynamic. Joseph, and Jacob, and all the four mothers, and all the 12 sons, and the daughters, and just the conflicts that went on there. We invite you to check that out and, and listen, but I just want to sum it up quickly and say that he came from an absolute mess of a home, as many of us did. And so he gets thrown in the pit when we last left our hero, sounding like a radio serial now. When we last <laughs> left our hero, they'd thrown him in a pit, put animal blood on his coat, deceived their father, and sold him to a caravan and off to Egypt. And so it's interesting, Frank, because the next time we see him, we see him sold as a slave in Egypt to a guy named Potiphar. Mm. He's a captain of the guard in Egypt. But I tell you, when you start reading about what happens to him in Potiphar's house, it's really different from what you read about in Genesis 37, how he interacted with his family. Frank, scripture is silent 
about mm -hmm. what happened on that journey from Israel mm -hmm. down to Egypt. But boy, I got to wonder if God didn't just get his attention in a special way. What do you think about that? I believe absolutely that's what happened. You've got a very young man who receives revelation that God is going to exalt him. Rather than cherish that in his heart, he broadcasts it to the family and makes his brothers hate him even more, that they're all going to bow down to him. And you can only imagine, John, as, as he's sold into slavery, he's totally, completely rejected, beat up, alone, very, very young. And John, here's the thing that hits me with this account. Very, very young with shattered dreams, especially since those dreams came from God. And so you can only imagine what's going on in this young man's mind. God, did I hear you wrong? If this is being exalted, please don't exalt me. <laughs> you <laughs> thank know? you, but thank you, but no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make this somebody else's story. The screams, the fears, the doubts, the loneliness. You know, John, one of the things I've seen in scripture now through all these years of study, and it's proven true in my own life, faith, real faith, is born out of desperate need. When we are not needy, we can pretty much think we've got life tackled. You know what I mean? Faith is almost seen as an elective course in a culture of prosperity. If I need a meal, I just go to the cupboard. If I feel like going to a restaurant, I use the credit card. We need some new clothes, just head down to the department store. But when you're in a situation where you've got nothing and you don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow, that'll prompt your faith. Oh, yes. <laughs> It'll make you cry out to a God. Oh, and yes. In the Psalms, there's a marvelous verse that says, God always hears the cries of his children. And so I believe with all my heart, that Joseph cried out to God like he'd never cried out before. Rather than boasting in the revelation, he was appealing in maybe the devastation. And God no doubt heard that cry and had some time with this young boy. And I believe he spoke to the young boy. And by the time he shows up in Egypt, he's not a boy though he is in age, he's a man who's walking with his God, and it's going to be proven by his responses to the circumstances that come his way. It's amazing. You know, listening to you talk, Frank, my mind drifts back to a fellow we discussed a few episodes ago, St. Paul. And he was on top of the world, too, till he was on the road, and Jesus knocked him off his camel. And his whole world got turned upside down, too. Mm. You know, head and shoulders above everybody else as a Pharisee, got his whole future planned out. He's going to do wonders in Judaism. And all of a sudden, pow, there's Jesus. Everything mm. was turned upside down. I got to think that 
Joseph is kind of in that same situation. And, you know, maybe there's a theme here, my friend. When God told Ananias to go talk to Paul because he needs to know all the things he will suffer for my name's sake, there's something about a tremendous amount of suffering in a person's life that makes them just so pliable in the hands of God because you know, mm. they have basically nothing else. And yeah. that's that's kind of his MO sometimes, not always, mm-hmm. but it certainly seems to be in some pretty key person's lives, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. John, I'm just listening to you and I just have a memory. One of the most profound books I ever read was over 40 years ago called A Distant Grief by a guy named Kifa Sampangi. And the only reason I know of the book, and it's a nobody knows the book, it's, you know, it's an unknown book, but I happened to hear a pastor in a chapel service talk about this guy, Kifa. And he was a pastor in Uganda under Idi Amin. And his church was about 60 people, just an average church in Uganda. And then Idi Amin unleashed his reign of terror against the Christians. And Kifa got real with God real quick. (laughs) And the story is that his church grew from 60 people to 10,000 people in six months. It's just made a lifelong impression on me, John, you know, that how when we get in desperate circumstances, when we've got nothing but God, uh, we get real with God. And then we find him in a way we never knew him. And I believe with all my heart, that's what happens with all of us, what happened with Paul. And I believe that's what happened here with Joseph. Yeah, because when you start reading his story again, down in Egypt, you read about a very different person. Mm. Quickly, he rises to the top position in Potiphar's house. And Mm. scripture says God was with him. He blessed everything he did. And this was so cool. This impressed me. Genesis 39, verse 6, scripture tells us that Potiphar didn't feel like he needed to pay attention to anything Mm. while Joseph was running his household. All he cared about was what's for dinner. (laughs) I need my food. That's it. (laughs) And so this is how incredibly father turned the circumstances, you know, and all these gifts that Joseph used, because, you know, as a former retired vice chancellor, I know what it takes to run a huge household or a huge organization. And so it doesn't just pop out of nowhere. You know, these are mm-hmm. gifts that father gave to him that probably never got unpacked right. when he was living the life back in Canaan. But boy, under these different pressures in the crucible of suffering in Egypt, all of a sudden these gifts start coming out. Mm. And instead of seeing lingering scars of jealousy and manipulation, everything he learned in his home growing up, you don't see any of that. You know, mm-hmm. Potiphar didn't worry about anything. He left it all to Joseph. What a blessing. Mm. And then God stepped in and said, okay, son, I'm going to part the hedge a little bit. And I'm going to let a little trickle of temptation through called Potiphar's wife. Yeah. Oh, boy. And she was very persistent. Yes, she was. And so things turned a little south for Joseph at that time. Tell us what happened, my friend. 
Well, you know, she continued to pursue him to try to get him to commit adultery. You know, the scripture there records that he was not only young, but handsome. Yeah, he was um, attractive, very uh, comely. You know, oh, very. Yeah, he's, he was a stud, you know, in our modern vernacular language. And it appealed to this lady. And, you know, I did him some reading, John, that to have the position Potiphar had, he likely had to be castrated. He had to become a eunuch. We can't prove that. It's not in the scripture. That's from extra biblical history. But boy, that would lend some credence to this, because then you have this woman who has no sexual relationship with her husband. In any event, he might have had his sexual ability, but he was off being busy Potiphar, the man of society, maybe neglected his wife. We don't know. What we do know is she pursued Joseph vehemently. And I, I love his response. If you think about his circumstances, John, you mentioned this earlier. He could have been very bitter against God for his circumstances. He could have been very bitter against his brothers. He could have experienced tremendous loneliness if he hadn't been cultivating that intimacy with God that God was with him. And he could have gone along with Potiphar's wife and in a very real way, self-justified it. You know what I'm saying? He, he could have said, well, Potiphar thinks he's my master. I'll show him. I'll get his wife. And, you know, I deserve some comfort after all the struggles I've been through. Humanity, John, has a way of justifying their sinfulness. But Joseph makes this incredible statement, which doesn't get the press that the one in chapter 50 does, but it certainly should at least get the subheading. He said, I will not sin against my God. That's huge. Nobody else would have seen. Nobody else would have known. But God would have known. Yeah. And that was enough for Joseph to make the right choice. Yes. Huge. You know, as I look at this, Frank, Joseph played by the book. He did everything right. Paul mm -hmm. wrote in 1 Corinthians, flee sexual immorality. And he did. Mm -hmm. But he still got cast into prison. And so he didn't do anything wrong. And still he gets cast in prison. So his easy life with Potiphar is just instantly taken away. Now he's suffering, and it's not even his fault. He did the right stuff. Yeah. And, and he's think, suffering. Think about this, John. I just had this thought. In his haste to flee, he leaves behind his coat. And the coat is going to be used against him. I just had that thought. I mean, if he did what was right, he was fleeing so fast, he, he didn't take his coat with him. If he'd have taken his coat, there'd have been no evidence. Yeah. <laughs> if I were he, I would have stopped wearing clothes. <laughs> Get they him got in trouble. Him into trouble. <laughs> yeah. And so the poor guy, you know, there's no discussion, no explanation, being off, he goes to prison. And talk about how he would feel. Things are finally starting to come up in life. And all of a sudden, bang, here I am locked up and frank he was there for years yeah but even in those horrible circumstances it's amazing the same thing happened god was with him 
And in the jail, quickly, Joseph was in charge of everything, all the other prisoners, just like it was in Potiphar's house. So the giftedness and the blessings God gave him were still functional, just moving in a different arena. And so, my goodness, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around, you know, God, if you give me these blessings, why didn't you do something about Potiphar's wife, man? Yeah. Uh, but You know, John, I had a thought here. You know, you wonder, perception is a big deal, how we perceive things. That offense that Joseph was accused of was punishable by death. So why did Potiphar put him into jail? It makes me wonder if he saw his wife for what she really was, and he also saw Joseph for what he really was. I wonder if God isn't the one who helped Potiphar see that. And so he took this alternative to what the law allowed. And then I got to wonder if because of Joseph's newfound dependence of walk, that he might have perceived this saying, you know, I should be dead. But even in this prison, I can see the favor of God functioning. We can't prove that, but it's certainly something worth mm -hmm. thinking about and certainly something to ponder in terms of challenging our perception of circumstance. Yeah. Are we going to see God in what we're going through or are we only going to see man in what we're going through? Uh, yeah. Interesting thought. You know, in Potiphar's house... Scripture doesn't record anything about interpreting any dreams. That ability mm. seems to be gone from Joseph for the time being until he winds up in prison and Pharaoh's butler and baker show up. And of course, they both have dreams, as we know. And Joseph interprets both of those dreams. Mm. And so it's, it's almost like the gift God gave him that will be used to get him out of prison and to rescue the nation of Israel and secure the line of the Messiah isn't really manifest unless you're in the midst of suffering. I don't know how far I want to run with that, but that thought just jumped out at me that, uh, mm. you know, you commented earlier that we really don't tend to look for God's hand when things are going well, but we do when things are going poorly. And I got to think that there's a link between mm -hmm. Joseph's suffering circumstances and the sudden appearance of this ability to interpret dreams. Mm. And recognizing, John, the hand of God, I wonder if Joseph realized that God gave those men those dreams so that they would come to him and that would push him further towards God. Ephesians 1.11 is such a great verse. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. And that will, as we know, is to bring about a good appointed end. And so I see the hand of God here in so many ways. Potiphar sparing his life and putting him in prison. And then God giving those men those dreams and then bringing those dreams to Joseph. And oh, in the darkness of our circumstances, there are rays of light from God if we would only recognize them. Yes. And we got to be patient because even after the butler got freed and he promised to help to get Joseph freed, it was two years mm. before 
Pharaoh had his dream about the fat cows and the skinny cows. And all of a sudden, the butler remembers Joseph. <laughs> so Joseph comes up and he gets called to interpret. And this is what he says, Frank, this struck me. Genesis 41, 16. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh the answer. And so what a changed attitude, my friend. Had he said this back in Canaan, he might still be living there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just what a contrast. Listen to this dream I had, guys, as a young man. And now he doesn't say, well, listen to the interpretation I'm going to give you, Pharaoh. (laughs) He has gone from self-consciousness to God awareness. And he got there through the school of very difficult life. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking about this. I didn't think about trying to count how many times I and me and mine appeared in Genesis 37 when Joseph was talking about his dreams. But here in Genesis 41, he says, it is not me. God's going to give Pharaoh an answer. And of course, we know what happened. Pharaoh elevates him to the highest position. Joseph basically administers the the entire country for seven years. Plenty now they're in the middle of seven years of famine. And food runs out in Canaan, Frank. So tell me what happens when food runs out in Canaan. You go looking for food. (laughs) And those brothers went down to Egypt. And boy, you talk about a great circumstance and how God led Joseph to orchestrate it. He could have spoke right then and there. He spoke very impulsively years before, but now he's just patiently working, walking with God and God's orchestrating a circumstance to eventually get the whole family down there, and then he reveals who he is. Of course, those brothers shudder in terror, and he makes that famous statement, John, you meant it for evil. You know, I love that because it's honest. Yeah, It's real. The script didn't change. You meant it for evil, but God, and there's that great phrase that we're going to find throughout the Bible, but God, and God meant it for good. And John, I did some work into this. It's it's just amazing. Meant is the Hebrew word that means to establish a plan and execute the plan. It's the same word for both those evil brothers and God. And here's where the circuits of my brain get fried. The evil brothers planned and executed a plan for evil. God took it, the same it, which means it's the same evil brothers, the same prison, the same caravan, the same Potiphar's wife, the same Potiphar, the same butler, all of it. And God, that was his plan being executed for good. He takes their script if you will, their script. And he says, I'm the director now. And I'm going to write a very different ending. But none of the circumstances changed. That's where my brain gets fried. How does God do that? And I can't explain it. And this is what I learned from that, John. We have a God who is so big, we can't understand him. And that's the God we have to have. 
because if we could understand him, he wouldn't be a big God and we need a really big God. But what we do know is his character. And so whatever he's doing, even if he's using the same evil script, it's somehow his script with no evil at all in it and only good. And that blows my mind. <laughs> you know, we read this amazing story of forgiveness and restoration. And if you count the years, you're going to count a lot of years. I try to, and I'm counting 20, 30 years between when we first started talking about Joseph and now at the end of Genesis. And we might think that, well, all we need to do is let some time go by and we're going to forgive each other and we're going to restore each other. Everything's going to be fine. But that's not what happened. When you read the way the brothers acted, there wasn't any forgiveness or restoration. There wasn't any penitence. It was all a work of God in the life of Joseph. Through Joseph's suffering, he learned to receive what Father had for him. He learned mm. to give to others what Father had for him. And it was that miracle in Joseph's life that really was responsible for the forgiveness, which led to the restoration which led to the relocation of the family and the 400 years in Egypt. And so it was really a miraculous work in the life of one man mm. that changed the dynamic of this entire family. You know, Scripture says that Joseph closed the eyes of Jacob and he died a peaceful man. None of that would have happened had not Joseph been receptive to what his father was doing in his life. Wow, what a lesson. Wrap us up, my friend. Well, John, there's one more thought I want to bring. And at the end of this section of scripture in Genesis, the brothers find it hard to believe that Joseph wants to bless them. They find it hard to believe that he can be so good to them. And they're doubting him, and they're wondering when the axe is going to fall. Yes, especially and, after the dad died. Yes. And they said, okay, and, now we're going to get it. And the thing that hits me is it broke Joseph's heart that they couldn't receive his forgiveness and restoration. And I see in Joseph a picture of God. And how it must grieve his heart when we fail to believe in the goodness of God and his restoration and his forgiveness and his desire to bless us. Just as it broke Joseph's heart for those brothers to doubt and struggle to receive, I kind of think Joseph is a picture of our God. And all of us need to repent of that and receive how good God really is, no matter how bad the things we've done. It's a huge way to end this section of scripture. That's right. None of these brothers, none of these mothers, the father, not even Joseph, is uh, guiltless in this whole nightmare of a dynamic. The father stepped in and brought restoration and forgiveness. So we have to ask, 
what can he do in our lives? I've got to believe, my friend, that he can do the very same thing. Once we bring our ashes to him and we receive the beauty he wants to give us. Friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. And as always, our goal is to lead you to recognizing the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your very life. Check us out on our new website. We just revamped it, OurResoluteHope.com. You'll find lots of useful materials there for you. Our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channel, always some new material there. And as always, we close with the same reminder from the Epistle to the Hebrews that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. Bedrock, stable, steadfast, never shifting. And that hope is a person, Jesus Christ. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.